Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Coming to you from four continents, we've got the Dr. Daniel Plews and Professor Paul Larson of New Zealand High Performance Sports, and they also go by the Plews and Prof, which is actually now their official brand. And these guys are fresh off of the Olympics with one of the top rowing teams in the world and are now in Hawaii at the Kona Ironman World Championships. Um, it's a pretty meaty episode. It's full of great advice and how to maximize both health and especially endurance performance with the smart use of data. But it's also a ton of fun. Um, despite having a wealth of knowledge and operating at basically the highest level of sports, these guys are humble and they never forget to have a good laugh, which you'll see throughout the episode. Um, so we talk the number one best metric to track with athletes. And uh, here's a hint, it's not heart rate variability. And uh, Olympic Village, what it's like, what it was like in Rio, what it was like in London, um, preparing for the Kona Ironman World Championships. Um, The three in questions that are the most important training questions to answer in order to stay on track. And uh, weekly versus daily tailoring of training, Tracking HRV with Olympic rowers and top triathletes, patterns of HRV for various training phases, acute to chronic uh, training load ratio and what that means for injury, combining experience with research, self-monitoring, and plenty more. Um, So, yep, that's just a taste of what we cover. So with that, let's dive in. Okay, from... From Hawaii, we've got the Plus and Prof. Um, welcome to the show, guys. I appreciate you taking the time from the from the World Championships to join me on this call. Hey, thanks, Jason. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, definitely. No, and you know, it's uh, we've tried to do this once before, and I got food poisoning. And you guys were gracious enough to understand, and you you still like me enough to come on and do the show. So I really appreciate that. You know, I think I think we've been trying to get this going for maybe about six months or so. Actually, <laughs> that's yeah. how that's how busy our lives can be at times. Is that we just can't couldn't seem to get it going. But um, yeah, thankfully now we've found yeah. finally managed to connect. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I think we've tried it from at least. Four different continents by now <laughs> so <laughs> if this doesn't work then let's just scrap the whole idea and join forces <laughs> come right. from one area that's right that's right sounds good sounds good we'll do that <laughs> so you guys have been really busy lately you've had uh you're at the world championships you you've just come off the olympics um you're traveling yeah um, <laughs> you haven't been home for a while have you no no my wife doesn't my wife doesn't isn't i'm not that po- well not as popular as I should be, really, having been away. I was away for four months with the New Zealand rowing team, uh, which included a big stint in Europe, and then the then eventually going to Rio, and then I came back to New Zealand for a couple of weeks, and met, yeah, and then I came out to went out to Boulder, and then to Hawaii with some of the um, the Ironman professional Ironman triathletes that I coach. So yeah, very busy times, and yeah, lots going on really. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, um, before we get into all the fun, sciencey details uh, from the Plus and Prof, I have to, you know, bug you. What was it like visiting the Olympics um, as a, you know, as somebody that's participating at least indirectly? Um, as, as somebody who's who's there as a who's who's in the Olympic Village and stuff like that. You mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was my second Olympics, so I also was fortunate enough to be at the London Olympics and it was it's very different to London um London was a little London was a little bit more organized maybe and maybe a little bit more hyped it felt it felt like more of a special event than Rio I think Rio just it just didn't have that same for me at least it didn't have the same Olympic buzz as Rio did but you know it's, it's always cool to be have the privilege to be in the Olympic Village and you you have dinner in the dining hall and you see so many professional athletes and People who you just normally see on TV all milling around the Olympic Village, all having, you know, all sharing food together. So, yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's quite a privilege. And I mean, the Olympics is just a special event. And, you know, it was good. It was good. Good to be there. You got a nice selfie with Chris Room, didn't you? Yeah, I met. Uh, yeah, that was, that was probably my highlight. <laughs> oh, nice. It wasn't a selfie. Nice. Prof. It wasn't a selfie. No. It wasn't a selfie. No, it was a pic. It was a pic. Yeah. But yeah, Chris Room. He made me look very fat. <laughs> uh, we worked with a, a couple of Olympians, but not, you know, obviously I wasn't there. I wasn't working with them directly as a, a coach or anything, but um, it's it was kind of neat just through you guys to get the experience uh, or kind of get an idea of all the stuff that goes into it. And there's so much preparation. So this can kind of lead into my first question, which was, um, I know you guys are very data-driven, so there was probably a lot of data that you were using and uh, monitoring with the athletes leading up to that competition. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. When it comes to data, I always, I'm always try to always think about what's this data doing and is it really answering some of the key questions. And for me, it's all I always think: does this relate? Does this relate to training? So if we can get the training right, that that's going to have the biggest impact to the performance. So the training, if we get the training all on song and everything's going well, it means that generally the performance is going to be better because getting the training right is where you have the, the biggest bang for the book. So, yeah, in terms of that, there's a lot of data being collected. So for the rows, for example, we've got um, heart rate from every session, morning heart rate variability, GPS is on the boats, which, we, which records um, stroke rate speeds, and we can compare it to world record prognostics and, um, and stuff like that. So I just... I guess there's always three questions that I'm always trying to answer is um, is the is the, uh, the the type of training right so is the volume and the intensity correct um, are they going to be able to do this training load consistently so is it is it too much for them are they, are they too fatigued are they not doing enough and then also I always like to know how they're tracking and where how far away from the target are they how far if we if we're after an Olympic gold medal are they actually on track could they do that right now and um, you know, are they progressing towards that goal? So, yeah, and they're the, and I'll answer those questions driven by by data. Right, and so I like what you said there about um, because a lot of people might think when you get to the top level like that that you're just tracking everything about everything and you're measuring all this extra data that uh, that people can't even imagine. But what you're saying is that you really actually try to focus on the data that matters to drive training and to have uh, decision-making with regards to training and not just tracking everything under the sun for no reason. Yeah, exactly. And I think that can be a, a huge mistake a lot of 
practitioners and sports scientists make is that you went like you said you went people that perception that you collect all heaps and heaps of data but at the end of the day you're far better having clean data so data that you can collect cleanly and you're having it all the time rather than trying to collect too much and it ends up being quite patchy because you can't and then then you can't actually read too much into the data because you don't you don't have good trends so you're better off collecting a small amount that's meaningful that's clean rather than collecting a large amount that's not not as that's not as meaningful and the data is all patchy so that's kind of the philosophy that I always take with um, when it comes to the monitoring side. And that obviously takes um, a lot, you know, some trial and error and some experience to figure out what it is that uh, makes the most sense to track. Yeah, for, track. yeah, for sure. For sure. And, I th- and, it, and it comes down to what like I said, the thing I said from the start is what what's important to you. Like what's important to me is I just want to know what the training's like. I want to know if the training's correct. So if if that data isn't helping me answer that question, um, then I won't bother collecting it. Right. So. And so, and what I'll bring that back around later uh, when we talk about plus and prof. Um, but do you, in that buildup, when you're talking about training and all this data collecting, are you using that to tailor training on a daily basis or weekly basis? Or um, yeah, I mean, I guess everything really, uh, weekly, weekly, and um, and daily it depend depends on the the, the situation so um, yeah and, and, I, and I wouldn't say I'm just using one one variable to make the decision I'm using all the all the all the variables that I'm collecting all the data that's collecting will make um, an informed decision um, I'm a great believer in that we the reason we collect data is to decrease um, uncertainty in the decisions we make um, and that's why that's why it's so important. So, it just gives you if you've got a, if you've got an idea of where you want to go with training or something's not right, the and you, you're not sure about the decision, the data that you get gives you greater clarity and it decreases the uncertainty of a decision that you might want to make. And that's the that's the way I prefer to look at the data rather than it's not simply right or wrong. It's just decreasing uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Makes things a little bit more objective as well in, in discussions yeah. with the coaches and those sorts of things yeah. too, right? Like you can, you can, um, yeah. When when you're in a team environment, you can you can build these uh, collaborative decisions around these sorts of things too, right? When you're collecting all that all that data, so yeah, yeah. it's um it's it's quite useful. But again, I'm I'm, I'm with you. You've got to um, understand what matters and then measure measure what matters. So Perfect. Yeah, uh, that's the general philosophy. Glad to hear that uh, heart rate variability made the cut. <laughs> of course, yeah. 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 In internal internal training load, mate. How's the body reacting to um, to the, the the training that's being prescribed and attempted? Um, yeah. What's what's the what's the what's the what's the fallout from from doing that set that session or those that number of sessions on a on a day to day basis on a week to week basis? Um, on you know with uh, all the life stress and and other various stressors that um, you so eloquently um, illustrate in your new HRV course, Jason. I, pr- I appreciate that, Paul. And uh, so you know, that kind of uh, begs the question for me. Uh, just hearing what you just said is many people consider top level athletes such as the ones that y'all work with to be genetic freaks that can eat whatever they want, never sleep and still perform insanely well. 
Um, my observation, though, has been that while there does seem to be a genetic component to it, that there is kind of an evolution in elite sports towards cleaner eating and paying closer attention to the underlying systemic health of the athletes. Um, perhaps it's due to the increased level of competition that genetics alone just doesn't cut it anymore. Mm, it's, it's a good question. I mean, it's, it depends. It's, but yeah, it very depends. I do know some very successful athletes who do not eat well and um, do not sleep well. And I think in some situations, you can somehow they do somehow manage to get away with it. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're the healthiest of people. And and Prof wrote with Phil Mathetoni wrote a really good paper that were you know athletes fit but unhealthy. And I, and for me, it's a it's a thing that that's often you know we just think fit means healthy and that's not the case you know you can be fit and to perform a specific task well but it doesn't necessarily mean you're the healthiest person to do it and as soon as and the, but the exercise is somewhat helping alleviate the situation in some in some circumstances but um, long term I don't I don't think it's good so yeah I think there has been people have had a bit of an evolution and they do realize that it's become more important but unfortunately some people still get away with it yeah uh, well actually I, I was just kind of reflecting on the um the interview with burks today uh, on the bob babbitt show and burks was uh this the that's the athlete that tim, that, tim, van, tim van burkle is the athlete that, that dan coaches and he was saying that um you know he he used to do everything kind of wrong from that health health standpoint when he when he was a younger athlete i think that's generally what we see it, and probably I'd include ourselves. I think in terms of Top when, athletes. We were, when we were young, well, really? <laughs> no, but when we were young, when we were young athletes that were that were killing ha- it, having a go, yeah. having a go, we weren't always that healthy, and no. uh, we weren't doing, weren't, weren't getting to sleep um, well. We were, yeah, um, drinking a little bit more than we should have, eating the wrong stuff, and um, and yeah, when you're in that younger age bracket, there is some sort of there's. There seems to be some better resiliency in the in the younger, but as you become a more mature athlete, things start to um, to creep up and and uh, not work quite as well. Yeah, and I also think that especially there's a, there is a big difference between guys like me and Prof who are we love training, we love exercise, but we also we have responsibilities and we've got to be on game to do work right, and we've got to be you know we want to train, we want to exercise, but we've also got to work in. We've got to beat. We've got to finish that and work. And I find that mm. when I, I when I was a full time athlete, I could get away with it more because I didn't have to do anything when I wasn't training. So I didn't have to. I could I could afford to be a little bit off par or not 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 on the um, not performing on the optimal level because I didn't have to do anything. But now, when I finish training, I've got to be doing stuff. So I need to be on game and I need to be ready to go. And I found that you know tweaks in diet and sleep allow me to do everything allow me to tick all the boxes you know i can train i can work hard i can still be there for my wife and and you know socialize and all all of the above and i think that's i think that's a key consideration for um for most people who are trying to do endurance sports is that you're not you don't have the liberty of finishing training and sitting on your bed and right and turning right. off the engine, you know, what you've got to keep going. That's right. So, that's and I think right. that's that's kind of where the Plus and Prof. That's where we're, that's our niche, and that's what we're trying to kind of push and um, communicate to communicate people. to people yeah. through edu- through um, some of our new our new education portals that we're establishing. That's fantastic, and I think that'll really help. I mean, we we also kind of you know 
this is probably why we've connected several times and just because we're kind of aligned in in our message and then uh you know i've told people regularly uh, unless your job is just to perform for a sport then you likely have a lot of other things in life that you have to juggle and even even if you're just even if you are a professional athlete in a lot of cases you have other things in life that you have to juggle and um so you can get uh pretty good results with less uh, less training even, or, or just less stress on the body if you do it correctly. And then you can still enjoy the rest of your life. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and yeah, I mean, recovery is better and yeah, all those sorts of things. Yeah. You're, you're, you're much happier camper. If you, if you do find, you know, learn, yeah. learn the, the, the ways of ticking all those boxes yeah. with respect to sleep and stress and, and nutrition. And I think we both find, we both find that we're both much happier when we're, when we're looking after each other, when we, looking after one another you and me looking after after ourselves ourselves. (laughs) but i do like it when you look after me oh yeah no problem buddy no problem so i was was no we're both happier when we look when we're healthy and looking after ourselves like i had an i could like we're in hawaii and i had a friend um a friend last night um who was from university and i went out with him you know and he's just you know business and He's worked hard every day, and he's trying to get on the booze and get as many whiskeys down his neck as possible, and you know, and he's trying to g me along. So I joined in, but then this morning I'm just like, what was the point in that? It just doesn't make me happy. You know, I think, you know, you only peer pressure, mate. Yeah, and, but, <laughs> but it's that old saying that without the um, without the bit of the sweet, never tastes so sweet. And mm-hmm. I think until you actually experience what it's like to feel good. And on a day-to-day basis, you mm. you don't you you can't comprehend it. So mm. I couldn't agree more. Um, I mean, on another episode, uh, we were talking to uh, president of the American Functional Medicine Association. Uh, we were talking about this from from more of a people who are sick and trying to get better perspective. But um, I kind of shared my story, which in a nutshell was that. I was making some changes to my diet and to my lifestyle so that I could uh, up my performance. And I almost by accident um, lifted a a bunch of brain fog, got more even energy throughout the day. Um, You know, I, I basically, I don't think I could be running this business right now and juggling so many things if I hadn't addressed nutrition and sleep and some other things years ago. And the thing is, you don't, you don't realize it until until you come out of it and and that's the thing that a lot of people like they they'll get I know from experience and talking to people they often say oh you know I've I've changed my diet and now when I go back to eating I just I'm sure I'm sure that whatever it might be maybe the bread the bread just makes me feel so much worse than it used to but I, I don't think that's the case I think it's just that you you now are used to feeling good so suddenly it takes it, it makes you, the that crap feeling feels a lot worse yeah, well, so, it's, a, it's, a, it's all of a sudden it's a, it's a stressor on you, yeah. and you that you're not conditioned to. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Mm, you're more sensitive to it. Yeah, that, uh, so thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it's something that I think is powerful to hear that even from people who are interested in top-level performance are thinking about this and are also able to help people if they're interested. Um, so do you track uh, similar type data with your triathletes and Ironman as you did with the rowing team yeah yeah so with my with my triathletes I so with the rowers 
I'm kind of a because I've been doing it with them for so so long. Um, you know, I started very early. I'm a bit more um, hands-on with the data. Um, so we use polar polar heart rate straps um, still, and I'll we'll pull the data and I'll put it into my own spreadsheet and um, or and look at the data myself. But with my with the triathletes, some of the professional ones, I've gone into using more app-based devices. So nice. Yeah, it's just just because it's a little bit easier. Great. And um, so I'd like to ask some questions about that. And basically, there's been a lot of questions around the patterns that one can expect to see in heart rate variability, kind of going from off season to a buildup through a taper and then peaking for a competition. And we had Andrew Flat on the show, and he talked about kind of the team sports side and some um, higher intensity athletics and what patterns you can expect to see there and then he goes you need to ask Plusenprof about the endurance scene because they'll know better than me so i said okay i'll ask them well that's likewise where he'll know more about the sprint and the team stuff than than us that's that's right that's right well we are starting to investigate that a little bit more in a phd that we're we're running but yeah but yeah no he's he'd be way more experienced in that than us and of course our colleague martin bachette is big into the team sport stuff he's probably you know he's the he is the man when it comes to high variability, and he's probably and he is yeah. definitely the man when it comes to team sports. So yeah, for sure, um, yeah. But yeah, no. What what are you are you looking for general general trends there, Jason? Yeah. So let's start with the loading phase, going from off season and starting into a new training program. Um, also, let's to keep it in context for the folks who are listening. Uh, you do tend to work with athletes that already have a significant background in training. So it may be a bit different from the patterns you would see, say, with somebody who is starting a couch to 5K program, for example. So let's start with the loading phase. So, I mean, I, and I think we've, we've, we've not, we've, we, well, it's very soon to be released. Another paper that we've written in International Journal of Sports Physiology Performance. And it kind of, and that again has backed up a lot of, um, a lot of what we see generally is that when people are loading, especially in endurance sports, in endurance sports they typically tend to have more, if you're doing it correctly especially, have a lot of time what we call aerobic training. So you know, a lot of time spent at quite a low heart rate below that first, um, at, like below the aerobic threshold or lactate threshold, the ventil- ventilatory threshold one. Um the HRV will increase, so we tend to see trends that just go up, and um, especially when it's loading. And then when that load comes off, or you taper, it comes back towards um, the same kind of baseline or the same level it was before, or just marginally above. So, um, in a lot of our papers, we kind of establish that's what we call the smallest worthwhile change, so the individual smallest worthwhile change. And if someone's loading and they're adapting well to the training, it will get, the HRV will go up. And on that, and we look at the rolling average of that, it'll go up. It'll go above the smallest worthwhile change for that individual. And then it would come back down um, as the load comes back off. And that could be with a taper or just a general recovery week. And the one exception is, of course, and this is the, the, the usefulness of heart rate variability, is that if they're not adapting to the training, um, you, um, from time to time, you'll see you'll see it um, start to 
to go down the sink. And uh, that's that's when you need to go and kind of uh, you know adjust your training yeah. accordingly. So yeah. no. and, and 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 any um, even and I don't think, and it's not like more up an increase is always good and a decrease is always bad. Sometimes you can like you can have that kind of parasympathetic you know, parasympathetic overtraining where it is going too high and if you, you, you want it to go right. up but if it's if it's right. elevated for really long periods of time you know weeks and weeks and then eventually um the, that athlete's just going to be cooked so you you want it the the ideal phase ideal phasing is that if you were to plot it it would go it would wave up and down so it would go out of the smallest welfare chains come back down out of the smallest welfare chains come back down through those phases of training but if um if it's if it comes up and it doesn't come back down then I would also say that the recovery isn't during those recovery weeks isn't good enough. You need yeah. to um, need to back off the training a little bit more. Yeah, and and, and the only thing I'll add on, on all that is that is in terms of interpreting what's likely going on, you, you need to have that that constant communication with athlete uh, and or coach if you're in a supporting role, so that you can kind of uh, you know and also being aware of the the training that's kind of going around, so you can. You can grasp um, some good context as to what yeah. these numbers are, are likely meaning. Yeah, for sure. And the and that's one thing that I'll, I always I'll always drill that home is that heart variability, especially for endurance training, it's only any use in the context of what's being done. Um, so you need to you need to know the training context before you make a decision based on the data. Like if it, if it is coming back down and if, if it's coming down and you've just started in a loading week, then you, you can ask you can ask yourself the question, or maybe I'm actually giving them enough in this loading week. Um, if it's coming down and it's a taper week, and then you go, okay, that's totally fine. So, or even if you did like a, a heavy micro burst where you did four days of super high intensity interval training, you would then you'd expect it to come down. Mm. Um, so yeah, you got to take it within the context of what's being done. Yeah. That- that makes a lot of sense, and that's kind of like uh, it's almost an inverse pattern of what you might see in a strength and power. You know, like you mentioned, if you're doing uh, a microburst of high intensity intervals, you could expect it to see come down, which would be what people would expect if they were doing high intensity intervals anytime, right? Um, is most likely a decrease, and then uh, hopefully uh, it returned back up to either normal or in your case continue to go back up when the aerobic training is resumed yeah but i think um the key is that um for, for especially people who've been training a long time establishing a good baseline when they're under a normal load of training um you know they're not, they're not doing crazy amounts but they're performing well they're feeling good and establish that at the correct period of time so you know where it would eventually have to come back to Okay. And do you, do you typically have your athletes, um, establish a baseline like before the, the loading phase even starts? Yes. Yeah. So I would typically, I try and establish it after, um, I wouldn't do it when they first start training because it's all, you know, it takes a while for it to stabilize. So if they've been doing nothing and you suddenly go, right, you hit, they hit training and they do two weeks and it's, um, and, and, the, the you know the tra- the HRV will take a, a little while to establish itself. So then the two weeks after following that, where they're just doing a normal training week that's not heavy loading, it's not typically lots of high intensity interval training or anything. Just a normal week um, where performance is still maintained. Um, that would be the week I would establish the baseline. Okay. And so heart rate variability is obviously a topic we talk about a lot, and you guys have 
a ton of experience on. I mean, a lot of the papers that people cite uh, now have y'all's names on them. So, <laughs> uh, but do you have other metrics that you really like to track as well that are some of your other go-tos? Yeah, I mean, I mean, some of the the met, some of the best metrics are still is always performance. Um, you know, we we track that in rowing especially, and on with much with my triathletes, I'll always be looking at the performance in particular key sets and um, how that data looks. Um, you know, what's the power like? What's the heart rate like at that power? How, you know, and I also talk to them and how they felt that how they how they felt during the session, um, and just and general. Um, psychometric feedback whether you're asking questions to the athlete or they're filling out a questionnaire in the morning is always is always a good one as well yeah so. and the only other one i think is kind of um emerged as is, is somewhat useful and that's the um uh if you're getting accurate um loading data so could be could be um you know the tss type of things training stress score type of mm-hmm. things where you're looking at a ratio of acute to chronic training loads and uh, when that ratio gets out of whack when it goes, you know, up around, you know, 1.2, um, or higher depends on the, the exercise mode that can give good insight into your injury risk that, that could actually be nice, uh, nice alongside of the, um, the HIV as well. So, um, with the, with, is yeah, under the promise that you need, you need, the more you train, the lower, almost the lower you you, it's like the opposite way of thinking about it. The more you've, you're trained, the lower your injury risk. That's right. Yeah. So if so. you're re- if you're really well trained, you can handle a, a larger load. If you're not, if you if you're coming in like like I did yesterday. Well, yeah. So for those who don't know, we we, we <laughs> off the we, plane. We landed landed in Hawaii on Tuesday, and then um, me and me and Paul we decided to ride the Ironman course, and Paul was is a little bit untrained and. The prof was zero, zero training. <laughs> the prof was suffering. He suffered. No, no heat training. No, no chronic training load. So my acute training load yesterday would have been massive. So I would have been off the chart in terms of my uh, acute to chronic load ratio, and therefore I would have been at uh, a high risk of injury. Um, and yeah, I feel like I, I, could, you, I was pretty you, close to injury. When, when Luckily, you, it was concentric cycling contractions. When you but. crawl in the door, you look pretty injured to me. <laughs> It's pretty yeah. bad. When he called in the door, I almost injured myself because I started getting cramp in my ribs from laughing at him. <laughs> yeah, there was no sympathy from his mate. <laughs> well, it was just, it was, yeah, it was hard. Can't believe he talked me into doing that. <laughs> but I think that's powerful, Paul. And uh, I was about to ask, anyways. So when you say that an increased uh, an increased training load. I can't remember the exact words you used. Increased training load decreases your risk of injury, but you're talking about over the long term, not in acute situations. Yeah, yeah. So on training peaks, for example, they've got this uh, chronic training load feature where they're basically they're taking an accumulation of your training over 42, 42 days. It's based on the Bannister fitness fatigue modeling. And then the acute training load is is that same sort of average marker over about seven days. So if the shorter loading period is all of a sudden way higher than the chronic load, your fitness that's under you, that it, it just kind of makes intuitive sense that that's that you know there's going to be some some risk that you're doing something that's greater than your body's got the ability to to handle. So yeah. common sense can cover <laughs> common sense could 
could I probably think, solve I the think issue what as well. That sentence definitely <laughs> summed up your day yesterday. Doing something yeah. that your body does not have the yeah. ability to handle. Yeah. Know your limits. Yeah. But I mean, within, you know, we, we do these silly things all the time, right? Like for whatever reason, like life gets in the way and you, you know, um, there's pure pressure that's kind of involved and you follow people around. And, and uh, if you're not monitoring this kind of stuff and, um, then it's it's kind of hard to hard to keep track and educate athletes if you're like a coach or support personnel. So it's handy to have these sorts of things um, for the whole, the whole process of uh, of learning to be better for the future. Definitely, and and injuries, of course, are um, they're really important for everyone. I mean, professional athletes, top athletes, yep. are important for normal people uh, as well. You know, and I, I've. Um, I've been tracking heart rate variability on myself for several years now, and I'm not a professional athlete, but when I, I have, uh, playing recreational sports injured myself, uh, minorly a couple of times. And it's always been when my heart rate variability has indicated that my acute stress load was greater than at normal. And so that could be a coincidence because it's N equals one, but there seems to be a lot of anecdotal evidence that um, others have experienced the same. And we've seen some um, coaches and teams that are kind of noticing that as well. Um, do y'all notice any correlation between uh, not necessarily injuries, but I guess um, the potential for injury when you're calculating that acute training load and heart rate variability? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've, I've, I've actually done a lot of research and I looked into um, looked into the acute training loads and the chronic training loads and injury risk and high variability, but it's just such an individual response. Like everyone's slightly different to the way they tick. And if you look at um, Gab, like the Gabbert's work, who looks at all those ATLC and the work that I've in the data that I've looked at. It works, but there's certainly not one number or one HRV figure or that would give you that in, that guidance for everyone. So you've got to individually monitor and individually establish the correct number or trend for that person. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you know, unfortunately, that means you have to they have to injure themselves or something bad has to happen to establish it. But that's that's just the that's the reality of the situation. Uh, I would also add to that that the the place like in in the triathlon in the triathlon scene where we um, we find the most value is actually monitoring the acute chronic training loads on the run specifically, and I guess that's because you've got this you know uh, eccentric based um, uh, exercise exercise mode where there's a lot more risk of soft tissue injury. So um, yeah, you can, I think you can get away with a little bit more in the in both the swimming and the and the cycling, but when you when you're when you're taking weight bearing eccentric running, that's when that's when we find the the biggest um, I guess value of that acute to chronic load um, ratios. And I would agree with uh, the Plues where it's 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 a little bit uh, it's hit and miss with the relationship with HRV, probably because there's other so many other things that are affecting HRV as well. Mm. Yeah, because it's the holistic, it's the overall guider, right? So. And loads of things affect it, not just exercise, which is, you know, it's, it's his greatest strength at the same time. So, mm. yeah. So y'all mentioned that, uh, of course, you train. Well, actually, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Kona first before we move on. Um, you know, 
I'm sure there's a lot of excitement. You guys have been there uh, before. These types of things are are not new to you. So, um, you know, how's how's the buildup going? And is there are you doing anything new this time, or are you sticking to kind of tried and true uh, methods? Um, yeah, um, we're we with Tim with Tim Burkle. We're sticking with tried and true methods, really. You know, the rule is never you never try anything new on race day. So, you know, Tim's had, um, this will be his third Ironman of the year. He's had, which were two championship races. One was the South, um, the African champs, and the other one was the Asia Pacific champs. And he was second and first respectively in that. So we kind of know the formula that works for him. And um, so we basically, we did a very similar build up to what he did for Cairns when he won the Asia Pacific title. So, we, you know, we flew in here quite late, much later than a lot of the other pros, because we know that's that's what it's typically in the past. And um, yeah, it's a very similar taper and a very similar approach. So, yeah, it's just um, same old, same old, really. Just another championship, right? <laughs> exactly, and that's the very message that I'm trying to give him every day: is that you know, relax and enjoy the moment, and don't you know, don't get too worked up about the the event because it is it's just another race and the guy's done 25 Ironman and he's done well in most of them so you know it's just a question of executing it on the day yeah and, and who know exactly and and you know it's it's a it's a crazy hard crazy long race so much you know so much can happen it's it, it there's there's a lot of chance that that um that's that's going to happen out there with with any of the athletes it's it's not an easy thing to get right on 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 a on the day, but um, I, I mean, I got to say, when I'm when I'm watching uh, Burks and the two of you guys, and uh, he, he looks real, he, he looks quite relaxed and and um, just you know kind of quietly confident, and, um, and and he also seems a more mature athlete to me than um, than than the you know, former years kind of thing. He just you know he's he's yeah ticking all the boxes. He's got his got his health in in. Uh, um, on track and, um, yeah, I, I'm obviously big, big fan. So, uh, uh, yeah, hoping for good things for the guy, um, um, in just two days now. I actually listened to an interview with him on the fitter radio, uh, a little while back. And, um, you know, he was talking about, uh, how he used to train and how he trains now, uh, working with you, Dan. And, um, he said that he's able to be a little bit calmer just because he he knows um, going into it what the situation is because he's got data from past races to, to know what worked a little better, what worked didn't work as well. So that allows him to relax a little more, he said, just because it's it's less unknown. And, and I think, um, and I always have this conversation, I had this conversation with, with Burks not long ago, he's there's there's lot you wouldn't believe the amount of professional athletes out there who train blind and just train with without collecting data and are very sloppy in what they do and and that you know but they and they will perform and they will have good races occasionally but they're also really inconsistent because they have no idea about what they're doing and how they're monitoring it and how what they're doing and the form the lead they have leading into a race whereas I think since um Tim's now very consistent with his performance because we monitor everything he does and we and I look back and and I can replicate what he does in uh, quite a methodical manner rather than not really knowing 
So um, yeah, it just means it means that the performances are much more consistent. Now a quick word about our sponsor, HRVCourse.com. If you're looking to take your usage of heart rate variability to the next level, check out the educational video courses over at hrvcourse.com. I'm one of the contributing instructors, and so are some of the experts you've heard on this podcast. Don't forget, listeners of this podcast get a 10% discount on your first course using discount code ELITEPODCAST. Courses are only open for enrollment at certain times of the year, so check it out today at hrvcourse.com. Uh, this kind of brings me to the Plusen Prof. Um, so you guys obviously have a lot of experience working with top-level athletes, um, and you know uh, you're you're launching a brand, uh, the Plusen Prof, officially, which you are known by. Uh, and so who who are you going to be uh, aiming to serve with that brand? Should I answer that? Oh, do you want to answer that? Well, sure. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll, I can read it straight off the website. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Don't read it straight off the website. Um, yeah, so the the Plus, the Plus and Prof brand, it's basically... Um, so I think me and me and Prof, we've... I mean, Prof's done, what, 15 Ironman? 17. 17 Ironman. And I've been... You know, I was a performer, national ch- triathlon champion in Britain. I came up through the system. Um, you know, I competed internationally done a lot of triathlon, a lot of endurance and, and but we also have a lifetime of studying so prof's obviously a prof you know i've got you know I'm, i've have a phd and um so we've we've been taught a lot and over recent years we've come to realize that a lot of what people are teaching and what people think about isn't actually correct um people have uh are given false and poor information that's driven a lot by media and sports industry. Um, so the Plus and Prof, we're trying to, we, we want to introduce a, it's like a gated community that's educational for people who just want to basically kick ass in all walks of life, whether that be doing an Ironman, your CEO going to a, to a business and also trying to trying to be healthy and fit, um, a coach who just wants to know more about physiology and how to be healthy and, and perform well, um, and, and an athlete who's just looking for the next, you know, the next little um, little one percenter. And that's what we're trying to put all of our services into one one folder, so to speak, and that's what the, the Blues and Prof Lab is. That's right, yeah. So, I mean, I guess all, all the various um, little tidbits that we've, we've discussed already on the podcast, that's, you know, that's, that's all going to be, you know, in in the in the form in the lab and uh, and expanded on, um, you know all the different monitoring recommendations and the things and the tools that we use to to optimize health and, and performance and longevity. Um, yeah, so it's uh, and it's the pl- www.thepluesandprof.com. Yep, not the so sorry pluesandprof.com. Yep. So I'm just used to having the clues in front of my name all the time. You know? <laughs> I can't help it, but we had to get rid of it because the the hashtag was too long. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> no, so it's www.cluesandprof.com, and you can um, log on there and you can um, register interest and and um, see what it's all about. So 
Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to share that with folks, and we're going to have links to that in the notes for this show as well, so that people can link right to it. And um, you know, I just kind of want to reiterate some of what you said in the fact that um, you know, not only are you a professor and a PhD and stuff, because people sometimes think, oh, well, academic people they just sit in the library and they never go outside and do anything. Um, but uh, that is definitely not the case with you guys. Not only have you been training yourselves, but a lot of the research that you did and a lot of the academic experience that you have was hands-on with athletes as well. So that's just really awesome experience that I think is going to really bring a lot of value to people. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jason. That's very, very nice of you to say. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I, I mean, I, I kind of, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think um, we've probably learned, you know, almost equal amounts within both, you know, academics and research as as we have with, um, you know, experiential learning and self experimentation. Um, yeah, yeah, like for sure. Yeah, like we're we're crazy that way. But that's that's how we find that we we kind of learn the best is to kind of mix and mold the two of them together. Um, and but I, but I agree. I think I think if you just in one camp, there's there's a risk that you could be missing. Uh, missing something so um, yeah and again that we, that's our our niche I guess is is the fact that we do have experience in both yeah that's fantastic and so I'm just curious now um, <laughs> if uh, as a person who would be you know participating in the Plus and Prof uh, program uh, let's say I was going to be training for something uh, would this be something where uh, I mean, obviously, I can do it remotely from wherever I am. And then would I kind of expect to do some tracking of my own? Or would I also um, maybe go in and get some lab tests and review those with you? Or, or what's the extent of all of that? So say you're training for a marathon or something, you, you would have access to some of our marathon training plans and some of our key marathon training sets that are included in the lab but on top of that you can as a member you you can ask questions within the forum um so you can so then once you post a question up we'll we'll do our very best to answer it and, and other people who are who are part of the community and it's quite you know we're hoping it's going to be quite a a trusting community um can also answer your questions as well you know they can help um who might have had a similar problem with um, or a similar question before and experienced it, so they can. Well, they will also answer. Um, also, with the with the um, with the Pluson Prof Lab, you you also get um, a one-on-one consultancy. Um, if you if you if you're there, if you if you sign up for a year, for example, you do get the ability to just have one-on-one time as well. So you, you know that will be done over Skype or whatever. So which we could help and plan out your training from that way. If that was you know, and that's just one case of training, but. It could be it could be training, it could be sleep advice, it could be nutrition advice, it could be um, yeah whatever 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 whatever, you, you whatever it might be. Yeah. So um, because I think for us we we want to communicate to the masses, right? And we see this is the best way to do it. So we want to we want to educate and help the masses. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, this is the best way we, we think we think is uh, we can, think we can do it. Yeah. So. But st- and still make a living on it. So yeah, I'm 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 kind of yeah, after seven years with high performance sport in New Zealand, I'm on my way back to Canada and and uh, and yeah, this is uh, you know I won't be going into uh, a new employment um, uh, so to speak. So this this is um, you know this is kind of giving me a little bit of a salary to to live on. But it's uh, yeah, and giving but also giving giving back to 
the world and people, right? Yeah, and just general people who are going to benefit from it. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's honestly, there's going to be, you know, there's already kind of a shift that's happening in not only endurance sports, but in people's interest in, in health and fitness and mental performance and nutrition and how that integrates in and all that stuff. So I think it's going to be huge. And, um, you know, for to what you were saying, Paul, uh, and kind of our philosophy here, too, is that the more people we can help, um, you know, the, the money will follow. And uh, we do have to live as uh, as well. Um, but uh, being able to help a lot of people definitely helps that as well. <laughs> yeah, big, big motivator, big driver. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Excellent. So, um, you know, we could... I don't know if you guys want to continue on or maybe we can do a round two where we maybe just talk more about uh, some of the nutritional stuff because I, I think that's personally pretty interesting. What do you think? Yeah, that would be great. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And we're, yeah. we're in the middle of um, a, a good bit of self-experimentation at the moment where we're measuring um, blood glucose in real time and we're recording all of our food and and HRV and all of the above, and we're going to try and string it all together and get some sense of, sense from it. And it's already very interesting because me and me and the prof, we're we we're doing the same thing, but our responses are so different oh, to yeah. various things, and it's really fascinating. Yeah, we, there's so much we could talk about on that. Yeah, we've got some good yeah. good blogs and and uh, and discussion coming up on on what we're what we're what we're finding um, right now with that. Um, that ride to uh, on the Ironman course that I, I spoke on before, so <laughs> that's uh, that's all going to come out come out shortly. Awesome! No, that's great. Uh, we'll definitely look for that. I mean, like I mentioned, Paul, when we in our first kind of try of recording, um, was that I had a interesting uh, experience going into more a strict ketogenic diet where my HRV kind of tanked for several weeks. Um, and there were some pieces that I had to put together to figure out why that happened. Uh, it was a little bit beyond a normal kind of adaptation phase. And it was partially because I was introducing some strength training at the time. And I also found out after we talked that I was uh, I had some mild gallbladder issues um, that, of course, are the gallbladder is a very uh, key player in the... Uh, digestion of fat so um, it, I got that cleared up and then have been able to tolerate a higher fat diet uh, much better after that so but that's just I mean that's just a, that's just so amazingly cool because you imagine if you did that and you weren't measuring your heart variability you you may not have just carried on and just think it's normal but you you know because you were measuring it you knew something was wrong which you know again is such a such a powerful example of why hrv is such a useful tool for anybody anybody doing anything so yeah mm -hmm. it's great yep yeah i mean i'm a big fan of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh really <laughs> um we're yeah we're we, all, we, we, all, we are too we're all hrv lovers <laughs> yeah, we are. yeah you spent spent enough years of my life studying it <laughs> Yeah, whenever I get the chance to meet you in Auckland, uh, I I was we were just kind of joking at, over lunch that you're uh, you're like yeah you know I I still like HRV and I still use it for a lot of things but right now personal interest is more in the nutrition side uh, just because you've spent so much time on it um, so yeah. no 
Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. and, it, and there's a, people still want to hear about it though. Like, I'm presenting at a conference in a couple of weeks, and and they want me to talk on HIV. And I said to the conference organizer, "I'm like, really <laughs> again?" <laughs> and, the, and and he says, "Well, everyone wants to talk about it. You know, it's boring to you, but it's still quite fresh to a lot of other people." So, um, so yeah, I think it's you know, even though we're being involved in it for some time, people are still still learning about it and still want to know about it. So we're um, you know. Happy to educate. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Awesome. and that's that's another thing. You know, we and we do do a bit of that as well. We do do some consultancy on HIV. Is a very, especially in sport, it's a quite a complicated area that people don't understand. And we still have a lot of requests of consultancy of teams and sports trying to use heart variability, and that's um, you know, something that we we mm. can do as well. You know what else I'm really excited about as well is the um, the first beat um, product. Oh, yeah. We're going to be trialing the first beat one. I'm not sure. Have you heard of the first beat one, Jason? The bodyguard. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna be trialing that with a few things because I guess it's almost a, a way to get a little bit more of a, a an acute um, information around a, an acute response to HRV um, as opposed to you know I think in the past we've really just been looking at the the day to day with a morning morning marker, mm-hmm. but now we're yeah we're I guess we're um, I guess we're narrowing down and really looking at acute influences of, of various different stressors and stuff and how that's that's going to be affecting HRV on a, a minute by minute kind of basis throughout the day. So you, do you think you had some stresses yesterday on the way out? To I think it would have been a good one. Would have been a good one to measure. I wish we had had it. But anyways, it's coming soon. <laughs> You'd have been under some heavy stress. Heavy sympathetic. <laughs> yeah. So anyways. are you? Uh, that's interesting. I, I have used that and done a little bit of experimentation with my. I'm still waiting to get my results back because they actually um, sent me one for testing as well and. Are you working with Alessandro Ferretti on that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we are. For that? Okay. So, yeah, I just I was just Skyping with him last week. And um, so he mentioned that he was talking to you guys about something, but I just thought I'd throw it out there because I knew he was a fan of uh, doing that continuous monitoring. Yeah, yeah. He, he's the guy that's, um, that's, that's brought us on to it um, for sure. So... So yeah, again, we're we're just always keen to learn and, and experiment. So that's that's um, that's what we're that's what the future is for the next uh, next few months. Yeah, there's a, there's a few of us geeky like people out there who love doing this thing, which is cool because we all, you know, around the world we find each other amazingly, and yeah, and this is just a prime example of we've got all these collaborators and like you know friends or like-minded people around the world, like yourself, Jason, who we can just. Um, you know, we just have common commonalities with yeah. it. It's great. And everyone's open to share everything. Yeah. You know, there's no yeah. secrets or anything like that. So no, you know, this, no, this is what yeah. I learned. And, no and again, secrets, and no again, that's, that's what yeah. we want with the, uh, with our Plus yeah. and Prof thing as well. We just want to, we want to teach people. So yeah. what we're learning. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. I, you know, honestly, when we were, when I was coming to New Zealand, um, and I'd read a lot of y'all's work in the past and I just, you know, emailed Dan kind of out of the blue almost. And, um, we managed to meet up for lunch and then I think we were both kind of thinking afterwards, like, yeah, that guy's not too bad. I think I could, uh, I think we could continue having conversations and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, we, we also both, we had our, our wives with us, which by the way, to both of you, Alyssa, uh, said to say hello. Good day, good day, Alyssa. Good. So, <laughs> but I found that kind of, you know, luckily or, uh, fortunate, I've been fortunate to be able to travel around and meet a lot of people and I've met a lot of people in the HRV space and they've all been so open to sharing just like you were talking about and that's been really awesome 
Um, so there must be something, you know, personality wise that attracts people to good data as well. Yeah, yeah because a lot, <laughs> and a lot of people are trying to do the same sort of thing, but no one's like, no, this is mine and gets annoyed with other people about, you know, it's all, it's all, it's great because everyone's quite open about it and there's not, there's no real competition. Well, you know, there's no competition amongst HRV lovers. We just, we all like, we all respect what everyone's doing and yeah. we like collaborating. So long may it continue. Indeed. Yeah. Well, so, uh, why don't we wrap up there and we'll we'll have another session and it'll probably be after uh, Blues and Prof is um, full steam ahead. And so we'll have some more neat things to talk about with that. We can talk a little bit more about your nutrition experimentation. Um, how does that sound? Perfect. Sounds great. Yeah. That's awesome. Bring it on. Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate you guys taking the time to join and... Um, you know, good luck this weekend. I'm sure you don't need it, but uh, we don't need it. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a long day watching. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's a long day watching. watching. Yeah, it's pretty hot out there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll survive though. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll find we... some shade. <laughs> <laughs> so t- and recovering. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, I did. I did the race last year, and it was, yeah. Oof. That was a tough day, I tell you. I ended up, I ended up with. I've still got the the suntan burns a year later. That is remarkable. I had amazing. I, I ended up that. with terrible suntan burns and nearly losing all my toenails. Mm. But we, you know, still had fun doing it. So <laughs> I'm just jealous. I'm not here. Oh, you got you got sunburns. There. I thought the atmosphere was thinner in New Zealand. You should be used to. Yeah. That. Well. <laughs> it's it definitely burnt me here. I tell you that much. But I usually wouldn't do. Um, eight hours with a singlet on in New Zealand either. Yeah. And oh, nine hours, true. sorry. I wish it was eight hours. And next next year accept the um, sunscreen rub from the uh, from the volunteers. Too. I did get it. Did I did you? get it, but it just wasn't it was too too little too late. Okay. By then I could only be identified <laughs> by my dental records. <laughs> fully, fully yeah, roasted lobster. Yeah. That's why you guys really need to look after each other. We yeah, do, yeah, we well, exactly. We well you could have been in T two ready to rub me down with some sun. <laughs> I know. know. (laughs) Next year, buddy. Okay. And on that note, thanks. (laughs) On that note, cool. I appreciate it, guys. I'll go ahead and end the recording, and then we can just chat a little after and then close up. All right, man. And that wraps up the show. I hope you had as much fun listening as I had recording. And the Dan Plews and Paul Larson can be found at pluzenprof.com and we will have links to that in the show notes over at elitehrv.com slash podcast um, where you can find all the links to every episode as well as leaving comments and uh, you know getting in touch with us or with any of the guests Um, and with that uh, we'll wrap up if you have a chance head on over to iTunes to leave us a review it helps tremendously as we get this podcast launched to attract more experts and get a lot more great information for you here uh, we read every single one and we really appreciate it it's pretty easy you can tap on this episode in your podcast app we actually put links in the description now and uh, you can also just hit up elitehrv.com review for that So uh, thanks again for listening and we will see you next week. Sponsored by HRVCourse.com. 
truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals. Use discount code ELITEPODCAST for 10% off your first HRV course. That's all one word, ELITEPODCAST. Visit hrvcourse.com to get access today.